From KYW News Radio 1039 FM, this is Bridging Philly, connecting our communities on the issues that matter to you. Presented by Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Hello, I'm Raquel Williams. Welcome to Bridging Philly. How do we remove the barriers to higher education to ensure people have a fair chance to succeed? We check in with two presidents of local community colleges and an academic researcher who all believe that free or inexpensive community college can help strengthen and stabilize our workforce. There's a very unique value to attending a college that has the flexibility to be able to serve and meet students where they are. Charity Howard has the latest Shara in the City. The Archaeology Project is a collaboration between Penn Museum, the community, and Hopeful, Hope PHL, formerly known as People's Emergency Center. That's all coming up on Bridging Philly. This is Bridging Philly from KYW News Radio 1039 FM. The following is an encore presentation of Bridging Philly. It's that time of year again. College students are graduating and moving out, and high school seniors are graduating and getting ready to move into their new digs at college. It's a pretty exciting time for parents and students and teachers. Also exciting, as you may have noticed, is all the Facebook posts featuring the big universities that students have signed on to. Of course, that's all great and terrific. But I don't see many posts about students who are preparing to go to a community college. Now, it doesn't mean that they're not. But why not all the showcasing that the big universities get? Joining me today for a discussion on the topic is Dr. Lavelle Pubasset. She's president of Camden County College. Dr. Donald Generals is president of the Community College of Philadelphia. And Sarah Goldrick-Rabb, a Philadelphia-based academic researcher and founder of Temple University's Hope Center for College Community and Justice. And she is author of the book, Paying the Price, College Costs, Financial Aid, and the Betrayal, of the American dream. Welcome, everyone. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. Good morning. Now, those posts from proud parents, often in my circle, actually, that's how I'm going. I'm going by what I see in my circle, feature all the big universities. Um, but we know for a fact that some are actually going to be going to community college, but I don't see the post about that. So my first question to all of you is, what's wrong with community college education? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> I would Nothing. assume that. So why are Nothing. we seeing what we're seeing? I, I mean, I saw a lot of you nodding your heads when I was talking about all those Facebook posts. It's true. You know, this hasn't changed over time. We have all these people saying college is costing me a fortune. We have all these people saying my mental health isn't great. Mm -hmm. And yet we're defining the only way to go to a real college is to go away to a college and frankly, in many cases, to stretch well beyond what you're going to be able to afford. Um, and especially, by the way, to afford for many years, because the average time it takes a student to get a four-year degree is often about five to five and a half years. Yeah, that's true. We know that at least probably 40% of the whole region is going to community college, but nobody's saying it. I think we're swimming against history here. We're relatively new as a sector in the higher ed landscape. Um, and we're competing, if you will, against institutions that are over 100, 200 years, some cases to over 200 years old. Um, I think that will change, and I think it is changing in many ways. But I think we're butting up against culture and history and tradition. Mm. Um, and I think the second thought that people have are all the things that Sarah says when they realize what the costs are. And we can talk about the thousands of students that after one semester, they're right back at our doors because uh -huh. the reality of the cost the reality of the type of education they're getting, 
um, sets in and they realize that the community college is probably the best fit for them. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that in many cases, we're finding ourselves still looping back to the experiences and mindsets of the parents of the students. Right who are showcasing and highlighting four-year institutions and their understanding of the value of community colleges. And I think that in some cases we have to kind of go against the narrative, swimming upstream, really trying to change the narrative about the value, importance, and celebrating community college attendance. And I think that one thing that uh, we've done at Camden County College to try to do that is really just bolster student engagement, making students proud Mm. to be at a community college and certainly not ashamed. And some of the partnerships that we have will help us with that four-year leverage in order to be able to showcase that they're going to a four-year institution after they start with us. But I agree with the rest of my colleagues here that we just have to change the narrative. I think think that there's some level of history that kind of goes against us in that way. And Sarah, you said something. You called it, you know, a real college. Like community college isn't a real college. And that the fact that we are still here in this presence, still saying that real college. Like, I'm surprised. It was very intentional, frankly, um, a number of years ago, almost a decade ago, when I started trying to talk publicly about things I was seeing in my research studies where students, for example, were going homeless to go to college, which is something I've worked a lot on. I really started to notice the disjuncture where, you know, I'd even be reading a book for young adults. Um, You know, I have teenagers and I would see this discussion about what a real college was. Mm. And the fact of the matter is that the student who is young and has parents who help them goes immediately right after college, lives on campus, parties, you know, doesn't hardly work. They are a vanishingly rare breed at this point. They are less than 15% of college students and they get all of the attention. Hmm. It is so much more common to go in your 20s or 30s to maybe commute. And frankly, everybody's commuting because they're coming from their own homes. It's not just like they live with their parents. Overwhelmingly working. This is the majority experience. And so the other thing I think we need to call out, especially in a city that's, you know, in a region that's talking so much about equity at this point, is that we're lifting up and celebrating a very rarefied thing that's happening for, frankly, the people with the most resources. And in not talking about the rest, it is sort of a way of saying, you're just not as good. Something's wrong with you. You're going to community college because you couldn't get in. What if you never even applied? Well, yeah, Sarah, you are saying all the quiet parts out loud here, I have (laughs) to say. And I'm glad you are. I'm glad you are because, you know, it takes discussions like this uh, to kind of break the stigma and while we're talking about it, let's talk about some of the benefits of a community college education. If you could, Dr. Generals, what are some of the benefits of going to community college of uh, Sure. I think at the top of the list is cost. Um, those students that ultimately go to the top tier universities, which most of our students do, 70% of our students transfer, they've probably saved anywhere between seventy dollars to $100,000, if not more. Mm-hmm. Um, they have the same quality of education. We're all accredited institutions. We get accredited by the same institution, so the quality of education is very comparable. I think that the services that we provide are far, far exceed what a four-year institution would. You can very easily get lost in a big city university where at a community college you get personalized attention. You know, I think at the end of the day, we have programs that try to meet some of the basic needs that students are suffering from, homelessness, food insecurity, and so forth. All of us have programs that meet those basic needs. Mm -hmm. Half of all the undergraduates in the country are going to a community college. Look at that. Look at that. Dr. P. Bassett, some of the uh, benefits of attending uh, Camden County College. Yeah, so there's 
a, a very unique value to attending a college that has the flexibility to be able to serve um, and meet students where they are. There is a certain level of socialization that doesn't happen at four-year institutions that happen at community colleges. Community colleges serve students that to 65, 70 years old. How many times do you have an 18-year-old, a 19-year-old be able to share a classroom space with someone who has experienced the things that their parents or their grandparents have experienced? And how much value and how rich is that experience when a student is able to engage and learn the same content but be able to see different lenses from which to view that content, right? So we we do add a, a little bit of a spice to it. We, I say the hot sauce that we add to <laughs> The educational experience, because we do have the luxury of being able to pivot and to be able to respond to the needs. There are four-year institutions are very static and they serve based upon tradition. We're a little bit more fluid. And if the ebbs and flows take us in different directions based upon our demographic, we have the ability to be able to respond to that. Bridging Philly continues in a moment. Back to Bridging Philly from KYW News Radio 1039 FM. I wanted to talk about the makeup of community colleges. Um, I know that 40% of Hispanics, 50% of African Americans in higher education are attending community colleges. Um, but are there specific programs that are in place right now for that demographic for community college? Absolutely. Demographics, you know, that's something that we look at quite regularly. Um, it's probably closer to 65, 70 percent mm. um, students of color. We have a smaller percentage of Latinx students, probably around 15 percent. Um, and then the balance are whites and others. But we have a Center for Male Engagement, which is our starship, if you will. It's for students, men of color primarily, but women can also get in it. We have a women's center because women have um, particular needs as it relates to child care and, you know, things of that sort. Our newest program is the I Am More program, which is for returning citizens, of which it would be tough for us to make our enrollment if we didn't enroll students who had at some point in their lives been involved with the um, criminal justice system. So we have um, counseling and advising and mentoring program for them. We have an LGBTQ center and we provide services for them. I wanted to ask you specifically about the program for um, men of color. And I know that you're specifically concerned about retaining uh, men of color in um, community colleges. Uh, why is that important? Well, first of all, if you just look at the numbers, men in general only represent about a third of the entire population. Men of color is half that. And so we, we think it's important. We think there are identity issues, you know, feeling comfortable about who you are and your importance to your community, trying to instill in them that importance and how they should be leaders. And, you know, the expectation is that you will ultimately be a leader in your community. So we grab them right out of high school and we put them through a pretty rigorous summer program. We have a residency. They have advisors and counselors along the way. And then it's kind of a model for that level of support because those students who eventually get through the program, their numbers exceed the general population. And we've extended our tentacles, if you will, into the community with the community knowing that ultimately students will have a place um, at Community College of Philadelphia. Dr. P. Bassett? Yeah, so we are uniquely positioned. We have three campuses, one in Cherry Hill, one in Blackwood, both are suburban, and then we have one in Camden City. Mm -hmm. But because Camden City is more than 75% students of color, there are a number of programs that are concentrated specifically in our Camden City campus. We have a Camden Scholars Program, which is open to all students throughout the county. 
where students are able to get support, services, mentoring, um, anything that will relieve barriers by way of financial resources to support them. The Youth Services Commission has provided us with funding to help students who are justice impacted. Mm -hmm. Um, We know that in Camden County in particular, there is a disproportionate number of people of color who are incarcerated. And this program is designed to create opportunities and pathways for students who are justice impacted. And when I say justice impacted, I don't mean they themselves may have been incarcerated, but they may have family members that might modify their journey and that might cause some type of barrier for them to be able to succeed themselves. So our demographic is not quite as high with regard to our people of color in our campuses. We have 44% students of color, 22 and 22 pretty much even Mm -hmm. between Latinos and African Americans. So it's not necessarily as much, but the um, concern that I have is that we also have a high number of our students of color who are not being retained and who are not graduating. And so there is still a need to have heavy emphasis on providing services and supports for those students so that they can see themselves to realization. I think you all have pretty much made the case for community college, (laughs) and I I do appreciate that. Well, Dr. Uh, Lavelle Pugh-Bassett, Dr. Uh, Donald Generals, and uh, Sarah Golder-Grab, thank you so much for coming on Bridging Philly and making the case for community colleges. We appreciate it. We learned a lot. Thank Thank you you so very much. It was great. Thank you. Bridging Philly continues in a moment. Back to Bridging Philly, connecting our communities on the issues that matter to you. If it's happening in Philadelphia, Shara Day Howard knows all about it. Here's the latest, Shara in the City. A groundbreaking community collaboration in West Philadelphia is now underway. The West Philadelphia Community Archaeology Project is a partnership between Penn Museum and several community organizations, including Hope PHL and the Black Bottom Tribe Association, as well as the Community Education Center, or CEC. Now, this project is an archaeological investigation into communities from the area dating back centuries, all of this following a geographical survey using ground pen penetrating radar and electrical recessivity, also referred to as ER. And this area includes evidence of some of the earliest homes built in West Philadelphia during the 1950s. And the purpose of the project is really to recover forgotten stories of the residents of the historic Black Bottom neighborhood before it was displaced in the 1960s. So we spoke with Trish Downey and James Wright with Hope PHL to learn more. Thank you so much for being here with us at Bridging Philly. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. Thank you. This archaeology project, what is it and like, how is it going to work? So the archaeology project is a collaboration between Penn Museum and the community, um, as well as local groups like Hopeful, Hope PHL, formerly known as People's Emergency Center. Um, and as People's Emergency Center, we actually had a collaboration with Penn Museum, Heritage West, which was helping people um, do lots of things, but including researching their own genealogy, which can be very difficult for people of color and the people in the neighborhoods we serve. There's also, we're cognizant as a community development organization that there is a wealth of history in this neighborhood that hasn't been explored and hasn't been um, associated with its proper um, historical entities. So we want to make sure that that happens. And I love that you're starting with the community as well. This is really community-based. Are you going into this hoping to find something in particular? Are you open to all things? Uh, We're open to all things. And um, 
it's the idea is both a learning experience for community members and also an opportunity to dig up some of that history that's been covered over and not explored. So it's an all things on the table situation. So what happens with what they find? So right now the museum is exploring how to do a collaborative um, exhibit with the community education center. And then they're going through a process of figuring out what will happen after that. But most likely there will be a process of sharing the items, sharing the story, both at the CEC and at the museum. A wonderful young woman said, well, will this now justify greater diversity in organizations within the community? Because as of late, being uh, with Penn, and I think she was one time with Drexel, she noticed, being from West Philly herself, uh, I think three generations, that things have changed and not for the better with regard to the people of color and them getting their due. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a, a really great point. And the thing about this project is that we wanted to open it up. The museum has been there for a long time. They've been discovering different kinds of histories from across the world, but never in their own backyard in this way. And so they wanted to get into that. But then the beauty of this project is that they open up to the community to bring the community into the process so that the community can be a steward, be a guide to what they discover and find. So maybe uh, it is a matter of now creating a new model for what goes forward and seeing not only a roadmap to what has been, what could our future look like? What's the vision? So I do think there is a new model in play here, um, and it's one of the things that we have in our background here at Hopeful as People's Emergency Center and as also YSI, which emerged uh, at the beginning of the year. And um, starting a new trend, starting a new um, model is definitely within our bailiwick. And then I also think that Community Education Center in and of itself is its own unique model um, for community engagement and um, promoting the arts. And I know Terry Shockley over there must be very excited about um, what could be going on and her being the first. With regard to the community, what are the options for them to really be involved? One is to help out with the dig. Two, to help sort through the items that might come out of what might be found. And then also to just be a part of the process of telling the story. Telling the story and helping the, the archaeologists connect the dots on what's found, how that might plug into neighborhood history, and so on and so forth. Because I think just like our DNA that psychologically, uh, I think people of color have been cut off from history and their history. But this is an opportunity to dispel some of those myths. But now we actually get to see who was here, what were they doing, what was life like, and what were some of the burdens, what were some of the pluses? What are some things that you look forward to finding? I think I look forward to finding kind of a deeper connection and some evidence uh, base that I can use when I talk about the community in West Philadelphia, not being a member of the West Philadelphia community, and more importantly, um, to the reflection of what happened here, being white myself, um, I don't want to take it upon myself to tell the story. But I do always tell people they're missing out if they're not connecting to the history, the uh, civics rights history, history going back further than that, the musical history, the artistic history in this particular couple of neighborhoods is really phenomenal and we're missing out and not recording it and talking about it and sharing it in an appropriate way giving you know all due props to the people who created the history who often are people of color what did you see in the radar that justified the dig uh, what they saw in the radar was that there were um, the foundations of housing units that were previously there which it's a parking lot and you didn't really expect that because it's been a parking lot for so long so you really lose touch with what was there. Um, and then they saw an area where the um, debris was a, a little bit 
stronger. And I think they found like a cutout of an outhouse or something like that, which made them think, oh, a privy is what they called it, an underground storage <laughs> place. And they thought, well, there's got to be something there. And so that made them more curious about where to dig and what to do. So if you would tell me what the area is and uh, where did you radar and I guess where's the dig going to be? So the neighborhood, I guess, is West Philadelphia. Um, it's at 35th and Lancaster Avenue uh, in the rear of the Community Education Center, which is an arts venue, arts hub for West Philly in their parking lot area. And the neighborhood used to be called the Black Bottom, um, where a number of black communities have lived for a very long time before change happen in different ways. I'm from West Philly, 54th and Chestnut. Our family's from oh. there. Yeah, and we've had, of course, all this mythology of yeah. what it was, and, but it was during, it was after the Great Migration, during yeah. the Great Migration. Mm -hmm. So still so many things had come and gone by mm -hmm. then. There was a mythology about West Philly and about the entertainers that came from West Philly, the real quintessential American story that really was born in West Philly for black people and about black people. So... Yeah, I mean, West Philly has those kind of layers. I'm, I live at 55th and Hazel now. My family's from the same area. And West Philly is just full of stories, full of legacy that's still being uncovered, you know, along Chestnut Street with the fact that Paul Robeson lived there for so long. And then if you talk to the folks at the museum, there are all these different individuals that lived on that block mm -hmm. with Uncle Paul, is what uh, Ms. Renoka calls them, right? And then the CEC is that same kind of thing, where the CEC has had so many artists that have come through the Community Education Center just to help build community. So let's connect all of this to that one glowing light that we see, that beacon art within the Philadelphia community. Yeah, I mean, in Philadelphia, arts is a huge thing. Mm -hmm. And at Hopeful, we see arts as a huge economic driver along the Lancaster Avenue corridor. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we praise the CEC so much, because it has been an arts hub for decades. And it really helped to solidify that concept in this part of West Philadelphia, mm -hmm. going all the way out. And so over the years, there have been many different arts groups that have touched on and lived in the areas and neighborhoods adjacent to Lancaster Avenue that practice at the CECs, displayed their first works at the CEC. And art has been a thing that has, um, one, helped communities to plant the flag and say we are here, two, help to steward the cultural heritage of communities. That's why we do the Lancaster Avenue Jazz Festival. And then three, help businesses to meet a market niche that has become very difficult with the changing of how people get their retail items. You know, you get more... Um, destination-style businesses, more um, creative businesses, all on the, the arts spectrum is how we see it. So you're reaching back into the past to kind of plan a vision for the future. Exactly, and and that's also um, a hallmark of our work in the communities that we've always been cognizant of taking from, you know, the foundation of where we started. I mean, our, our old logo was a tree, right? So it was about growing from the roots and into the future. Um, and I think when we look at the Lancaster Avenue corridor from Community Education Center all the way to what is now going to be the new Freedom District and the level of arts and culture that's available there that could just draw all kinds of people in and could become a tourist destination um, for people to really learn and learn directly from the community what happened here in West Philadelphia and how it's going to grow into the future. Trish, James, thank you so much for joining us. Well, you're welcome and thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. This has been fun. 
Thanks for joining us for Bridging Philly, brought to you by Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Be sure to connect with us on Twitter at Bridging Philly, at Raquel on Air, and at Shara Day. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. For Shara Day Howard and our producer, Patty McMahon, I'm Raquel Williams. Be well. Be well.